All right, you guys, we're getting closer to Christmas. It's about that time, but it's not time yet. We're still going to build up. We're going to build up the anticipation and the getting ready and the preparations. I had a friend a couple years ago, and he said, you know how like Christmas, there's all this hustle and bustle and rushing around and all that business? He said, I wonder if that's part of it. Because Mary and Joseph had to just up and leave, and they had to find a place to stay, but they couldn't find a place to stay, and it was just, there's some hustle and bustle in that. So it's almost like the, the preparations and the rushing around, we can blame commercialism, we can blame the sales, we can blame our greed and all that, but what if part of that is built into the holiday, part of the design of it? Kind of creepy. So today we're going to talk about Mary and Joseph. And before we talk about them directly, I want to get in their heads. I want to get in their minds of what, what they were thinking about and what kind of life they had, sort of. They were Jewish people in a country ruled by Romans. And the Romans were despicable and terrible. If you've seen Ben-Hur, some of the just brutality of them, um, that was all cleaned up for a movie, right? It was, it was, they were terrible. They were monsters. But they had only been ruling this area, talking about Hanukkah, for like 100 years. Like the Romans hadn't been around for a long, long time. But before that, other rulers were terrible. The Seleucids and the it just it goes back and the Greeks before that. So they're just oppressed, oppressed, oppressed. And the hope of the Messiah was that everything would be made right. Where did they get that idea? Well, one of those ideas came from Isaiah chapter 9. And if you remember the context of Isaiah. Gosh, the book of Isaiah is Isaiah the prophet prophesying to the leaders of Israel that you have to turn and repent because Assyria and Persia are coming and they're going to destroy us and they're going to take us into exile. And all that was 500 B.C. So this persecution and being ruled and oppression by foreign Gentiles that are terrible and despicable and gross. It kind of has a long history. It even goes back, right, to Egypt. And so the Jewish people, when they escaped from Egypt and they had their exodus and there was the law given to them and the, and the whole Jewish nation was created out of Egypt, it was created out of oppression and out of labor, burden, heaviness. And so by the time you get to around zero, <laughs> spoiler, zero, Mary and Joseph are part of a people that are just so used to being beaten down. And they are so used to trying to maintain their, their Jewish heritage and the traditions and the law in the midst of all of this other terrible stuff that's happening. And it's hard. 
and it's it's bad. So Isaiah, all the way from chapter seven, Isaiah chapter seven to Isaiah chapter twelve, is a great thing to read around Christmas time, because Isaiah chapter seven to chapter twelve is known as the book of Emmanuel within the book of Isaiah. And that's where he talks a whole lot about Emmanuel, God with us, the child, Savior, Messiah. But we're going to skip to Isaiah 9. And this is what Isaiah said to the king of Israel. This is, the, this is all going to be terrible. A bunch of horrible stuff is going to happen. There's going to be so many people wiped out, but there's going to be a remnant. There's going to be a little kept part. Like imagine if somebody came in and they looked at this whole place and they're like, great, it's a good thing we're going to keep a little bit of it. You'd be like, say what? What do you mean? That, that implies that a whole bunch is going to be taken away. That's what Isaiah is saying. He's saying God loves his people so much, it's a good thing he's going to let a couple of them live. So this is Isaiah chapter 9. There will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. Galilee of the nations, in Isaiah's day, that was way up north, way, way up north, past all the Gentiles, in the heart of the Gentiles. So if your Bible translation says the nations, that's cleaned up a little bit. The way you would hear it as Mary and Joseph, as Jewish people, it would be Galilee of all the pagan lands, all those Gentiles. All those pork eaters. Bad. He's going to make a glorious way even all the way to Galilee. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest. This is like... Uh, a long time ago, when I worked at Crossroads, we got paid on a Thursday. No, we get paid on Friday. But you know it would be there. And it was always funny, on Thursday night at Walmart, all the pastors and staff would be getting groceries. Because <laughs> everybody knew the next day was payday. And you could tell when Crossroads payday was just by, we were having church at Walmart. Everybody's happy. Everybody's joyful. This light that is shining on the nations and on God's people is like payday. It's like harvest. It's like, I mean, just think about when you've had those experiences where you're rolling in the money, when you have the harvest, you're the most generous, you're the most joyful, you're, you just don't care about, oh, you just spilled a Coke. You know, get another Coke over here. He just spilled it. No big deal, kid. Whatever. We'll buy more. Their joy at the harvest, like they're glad when they divide the spoil. 
The yoke of his... No, divide the spoil. That happens when you win a war. So you're celebrating. Hey, you want this coat? You want this jacket? You want this shield? You're, you're dividing it up. There's enough for all of us. We have won. The yoke of his burden, the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle, tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel as the fire. So think through. If you have all this weapons and all this, these, uh, like think about camouflage, camouflage army gear. And all you need to do is roll it up and burn it because you're not using it. It's because you're not going to fight a war anymore. War is over. This, there's another place Isaiah talks about beating your um, swords into plowshares. You don't need a sword anymore. We're going to garden. And if anybody has gardened before, gardening takes a long time. And so that means you're just going to have this peace for such a long time. You'll, you'll, you'll have a whole bunch of plows and a whole bunch of shovels. You won't even need a sword. There's so much peace coming. Then this weird thing Isaiah says in 9.6, Because unto us a child is born, a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. Wow. A new king is coming. A new king that will carry the whole kingdom. And it's not just our government, it's the government. The world powers will be on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. There's this really cool Bible commentator, teacher guy named Arnold Fruchtenbaum. And if you want to read any cool books, he's a Messianic Jewish guy, so he was raised Jewish, became a Christian, but still connects a whole bunch of Old Testament stuff. And he goes through this list of names. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. See, Isaiah said a child would be born to us, but those three names can only be used for God. Those are only God-assigned names. Prince of Peace is used one place. It could be used to refer to a person outside of Isaiah. <laughs> but in Isaiah, Prince of Peace, the, the author of peace, the bringer of peace, the giver of peace is always only God. And so a son is born to us, a child is born to us, He's going to rule the world, and his name is going to be all of these names that only God can be named. Pretty awesome, huh? Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. So he's going to start being, as soon as he is born and he begins to be king, he is going to continue to be king. There is no pause. There is no, he's going to go away for a little bit. Other people are going to be kings and he's going to come back. No, he's going to stay king. 
My favorite line in here, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Have you ever wanted to do something really bad and you're hungry and you're tired and your knee aches and you still do it because you want to do it so bad? And you're like, I am going to finish this. <laughs> I'm going to finish wrapping these presents even if I have to stay up till one o'clock in the morning. I'm going to Right? I'm going to clean this thing. I'm going to finish this thing. We're going to make it all the way to Nashville. I don't care if I have to prop my eyes open with matchsticks. We're driving. We're going. It's your zeal. The zeal of God will accomplish this. God wants to do this so bad. I want to comfort my people. I want to be the wonderful counselor I want to bring forth a child who, once he is born, his kingdom will endure forever with no pauses and with no lapses and with no end. God is like, I want this. Do you think God wants stuff pretty bad? Do you think he accomplishes what he wants? <laughs> yes, he does. Even in Job, it, one of the opening lines and one of the closing lines of Job is God's Wishes and will and desire will never be thrown off. Some of the oldest, some of the oldest wisdom in the whole Bible. So Mary and Joseph would know this. Our our school system is a little bit different nowadays than their school system would have been, because um, we've had the Age of Enlightenment and the Industrial Revolution, and we're in America. A whole lot of reasons, but. Their system of school was to memorize everything the teacher said. And so you would go to school, and the teacher would start reading, and you would be copying it down, and you would memorize what the teacher was saying. And then when you would go to um, the synagogue on the Sabbath on Friday night, and the rabbi would read, you would listen to the rabbi, and you would memorize everything he said as he would read it off. So, just like we have 100 million Christmas songs memorized that you can hear at Walmart over the PA the whole time, whenever you think, how could they possibly remember that? I could say, rocking around the Christmas tree, and now it's all stuck, right? They would memorize this stuff. They would hear it. So Mary and Joseph have... All of this stuff about wonderful counselor, mighty God, the zeal of God will accomplish this in their heads. All right, so another way that they would pray in that day was just reciting psalms and just pray the psalms over and over. And they even had little guides like, uh, when you're scared, pray this psalm. When you're hungry, pray this psalm. When it's morning, when you get up in the morning, recite this psalm. And in the middle of the day, recite this psalm. And at night, when you go to lay in your bed, in the middle of the night, when you wake up and you can't sleep, recite. So they had all these psalms memorized. And one of those would be Psalm 2. Listen to what Psalm 2... Just imagine if you had this memorized and this was part of your at least weekly, maybe even daily prayer. Why do the nations rage? All right, already. Ding, ding, ding. Nations. What does nations mean? All those pagan, wicked, Gentile countries all over the world. 
Puh. Foo on them. Right? Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. Like sometimes in America, you're like, oh man, the whole world is against the church or um, you know, it's so hard to be Christian. It's so hard to live a Christian life. Everything's against us. Psalm 2 was written a thousand years before Jesus. <laughs> so people have been trying to follow God in a world that hates them since Adam and Eve, right? Psalm 2 has one of the only two spots in the whole Bible where God laughs. God only laughs in the book of Psalms, and both times he laughs, he laughs for the same reason at the same people. Are you ready? I love this. The Lord, he who sits in the heavens, laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. He will, oh wait, who? All the kings of the earth that stand up against him. The only people the Lord laughs at are his enemies that oppose him. The Lord doesn't go, Oh, oh you make me so mad. Oh. He, you know, that, that kind of anger has its roots and is kind of a cousin to fear, right? Instead, God is like, <laughs> Can you imagine? All the kings of the earth, they come against God. They come against his anointed. And God's reply is, <laughs> how disarming that is. How, like, we want to fight you. <laughs> like, that's the most powerful thing God can do, I think, is to just laugh his head off at all the wickedness and all the evil. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. He will speak to them. Now, it doesn't mean nothing's going to happen. Okay? He will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. So all of a sudden, David is prophesying about the Lord. He's singing a song, but then he starts to talk about God's Son has been made, begotten. Has, has, I, it's so weird. You're reading along the English Bible. It's supposed to be a modern translation, and they throw in the word begotten. <laughs> you've been made. You've, you've taken, you've taken a, a physical form. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. Ask me, and I will give you all of the nations of the world. Remember when Jesus was tempted and the devil said, I'll give you all the nations of the world if you bow down to me? Jesus is like, uh, I'm pretty sure in Psalm 2, we laughed at you because that's already mine. Right? You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. 
Now, therefore, kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear. Rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry and you perish in the way. For His wrath is quickly kindled. And blessed are all who take refuge in Him. So you got this young lady. And she's got all that memorized. Theoretically. Or at least heard it. She probably heard it numerous times every year. If not weekly, depending on her, her house, which we don't know a lot about. Alright, last one. We're going to go back to Isaiah. Isaiah 40 this time. And the people know that a Messiah means the end of Rome. And it also means the end of Assyria. And it means the end of Egypt. And it means the end of the Edomites. And it means the end of Esau. Just everything that's caused their people trouble will end when the Messiah comes. So Isaiah 40. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. It's paid. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, every mountain and hill made low. The uneven ground will become level and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all flesh will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Get ready. The Lord is going to make a path. And so this guy comes, and they say, Who are you? And he says, I'm the one that they said will be the voice in the wilderness saying Isaiah 40. Make way in the desert, a highway. The wilderness, prepare the Lord. Make straight in the desert, a highway for our God. That was John the Baptist. So this is all the expectation of what's going to happen when the Messiah comes. So then, Luke chapter 1 happens. This is where we're gonna we're gonna end it. We're gonna end it all in this section. We're not gonna jump around anymore. So we talked last week about Zechariah. He's gonna have a son. He's mute. Elizabeth, his wife, who's old, uh, advanced in years. She is pregnant and she keeps hidden for five months. In the sixth month. This is Luke 1.26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Remember when Isaiah said, Galilee of the Gentiles, we're going to make a path. 500 years later, there's this lady that lives in Galilee of the Gentiles in Nazareth, minding her own business. And the angel Gabriel shows up. Here's what's crazy. 
There's only two angels, well, three angels that get named in the Bible. Michael and Gabriel. The other one is Lucifer. We won't address him today. Michael and Gabriel are the only ones that get named. Gabriel gets named and is present all around the events of the Messiah coming. Michael appears in other events, usually about everything getting wrapped up and ended. <laughs> so Gabriel shows up. Now, we talked before, there's no mention in the Bible of angels having wings. The angels that have wings have six wings and they're covered in eyeballs. They're always mistaken for to be... They, they either look like a crazy beast that's a terrible thing that you've never seen before, or they look like men. This one, Gabriel, looks like a man. And he shows up. And uh, Mary is not married, but she is betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph. Now, we don't know anything from the Scriptures about Joseph. We know so, so, so little. About 300 A.D., a book was written about the backstory and the childhood of Joseph and the backstory and the childhood of Mary, and it circulated, and a whole bunch of people read it. And then in 600 A.D., a council got together, and they said, this, this is not divinely inspired. This, we're not going to keep this as part of the canon. So they threw it out, and they didn't make it a part of the scriptures that we have now. But there's some stuff in there that doesn't hurt anything if it's true, and some of it helps explain some things. Some of it's really twisted and weird, and Jesus is talking to dragons and stuff like that, and we don't have to hold on to that bit. But there's one theory that Joseph was old, and he was a widower, and he had a bunch of kids. And so Mary was young, and didn't have anybody to be betrothed to, so she was betrothed to Joseph to provide for her as she grew old, right? As she as she grew up, because there's nobody to look after orphans and widows. Uh, I think she was an orphan. So that kind of, okay, I can see that. This betrothal period is still practiced in Jewish culture today. It's stronger than an engagement you know, nowadays people might get engaged and every once in a while it, it falls apart and then they end up not getting married. In Jewish culture, once you were engaged, you had to get a divorce even if you weren't married yet. It was that strong, that solid. And one, one thing I was reading, it was like, modern days, um, they just do all that in the same day so that there's no trouble in the between time, which is just heartbreaking. Right? Like, oh, come on. So she knows she has plans to get married. She has promised to this guy, but it hasn't happened yet. He comes to her. Gabriel comes to her. He says, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at this saying and tried to discern what kind of greeting this might be. So you're in a place where there shouldn't be any other people. Does this sound like Zechariah, right? All of a sudden, there's a dude there. And he knows your name, 
and he says, you're awesome. <laughs> you're either a motivational speaker or you're an angel. What are you? She's troubled. The angel says to her, don't be afraid. You have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you're going to name him Jesus. I didn't talk about all this, because good grief, we got to eat lunch. But when she heard that his name was Jesus, that means God saves. God is saving. God will save. God will rescue. There's a, a theology professor that I talk to on Twitter sometimes, and he said, we should just, since Jesus is a made-up version, English version of a Hebrew word and isn't accurate anyway, we should just call him Yah saves. And that would get the point across that God saves is what Jesus means. That The meaning of that name is God saves. His name is going to be God saves. So an angel shows up, you're going to have a baby, you've never been with a man, and you're going to name him God saves. He will be great and he will be called Son of the Most High God. This is the same language Isaiah uses. The words that you can only use with God. He's the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Remember way back in 580 something, Isaiah said, a son is going to come, and as soon as he is born, he's going to take his throne, and he's going to have it forever. That didn't happen in Isaiah's day, and Mary and Joseph and all their grandparents have been waiting for that to happen. And this angel just said, it's on. You're it. You are going to have a baby, and that baby is going to be the baby. She says, how in the world is this going to happen? The angel said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. And the child to be born will be holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth is in her old age, angel calls it like he sees it, is already pregnant for six months. What? Okay, so you're Mary. You can't believe all the stuff this angel saying to you. Wait a minute, Elizabeth is pregnant? Wow, this really is going to come to pass. This really is going to be, if Elizabeth is pregnant, if Elizabeth can get pregnant, then I can get pregnant too. It's a miracle. That's, that's what that is. Then this great, this great, great line. Um, verse 37, nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. I saw another translation of this. where, And it gets weird because we don't use the word behold. And a much better way that, that we could think of that is, Wow, look, look who the servant of the Lord is. Is how that, you know, you might do something and you might say to yourself, Wow, look who gets to... Open the first present. Wow, look who gets a free bacon, egg, cheese biscuit at McDonald's. 
Mary says, look who the servant of the Lord is. And it's her. All right, skipping ahead. Mary believes it. She goes to visit Elizabeth. Elizabeth, this whole thing happens where she's six months pregnant and John the Baptist in her womb starts to react and jump around and do a dance like babies do. Elizabeth prophesies about Mary. And then Mary says this whole thing from verse 46 down to 56. And you've got to read this with everything I've said so far today in your head. All that stuff of Isaiah. All that stuff of Psalm 2. Mary says, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. Remember, why do the nations rage? God laughs at them and humiliates them. He has filled the hungry with good things, like all the people that are happy during the harvest, like that kind of joy. And the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. She is celebrating finally the oppression of all the nations, which that's how she's looking at it, because that's how she was shown to her, is going to be broken. And what we know because we know the whole life of Jesus and what he taught, that the burden was never the nations. The burden was never the king of Assyria or the Philistines or Goliath. It was sin. And the stronghold of sin was heavy and strong and powerful, and it weighed down on everybody. And that is what he is going to break. That is what he's going to split when Elijah, J comes first in the alphabet, left, and Elisha comes later in the alphabet, took over. That's how you remember that. Elijah got taken up in a whirlwind and disappeared, and his cloak fell down. And Elijah was like, oh, the Spirit of God is gone. Like, who, who's going to fight for us? Who's going to represent us? And he rolls up Elijah's cloak, and he goes back to the Jordan River, and they had just come across it, and now he goes, and Elijah says, where is the Spirit of God now? And he slaps that coat down on the Jordan River, and it parts so that he can walk across it on dry ground. He had a double portion of God's Spirit on him that Elijah had. And everybody saw it, and everybody knew. And now, here is Mary. Gosh, God, when are we going to have to quit paying taxes? We are get out-taxed to these Gentiles so they can buy pork. They take our youngest men and they go fight. They're not even using the name. They're, they're all saying God's name. They're not even getting circumcised anymore. 
They've just given over to pagan ways. And God shows up and He says, you're going to have this baby that's seated on the throne. And she says, look where the Spirit of God is now. And the baby is formed in her, begotten. Begotten, not made, right? Remember when we did the, uh, the creed? And now that baby is born, which means that the throne is about to be established and sin is going to be wiped out forever. It's just going to be laughed at. It's just going to be laughed at and cleansed. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much that you did it in such a way that you were so brilliant that you would use just little poor people <laughs> that you would work in them to save the whole world. And I pray, Lord, that we would have those moments this week that we would say, look at where the Spirit of God is right now. That we would see it with the boldness of Elijah. That we would see it with the joy of Elizabeth. And that we would see it with the confidence of Mary. That your spirit is among us and in us and living. We love you, we exalt you, and we praise you, Lord. Amen.